Hello, everybody. I'm Peter Giuliano, and you're listening to the RICO Podcast, a special episode of the SCA Podcast. The RICO Podcast is dedicated to new thinking, discussion, and leadership in specialty coffee. On the RICO Podcast, we'll be sharing talks and discussions from RICO Symposium, SCA's premier event dedicated to amplifying the voices of those who are driving specialty coffee forward. We'll also have special interviews with the speakers themselves, learning more about their perspectives and innovations. Check out the show notes for links to our RICO Symposium YouTube channel, where you can find videos of our RICO talks, and ericosymposium.org for the latest on our conferences and fellowships. This episode of the RICO Podcast is supported by Toddy. For over 50 years, Toddy brand cold brew systems have delighted baristas, food critics, and regular folks alike. By extracting the natural and delicious flavors of coffee and tea, Toddy cold brew systems turn your favorite coffee beans and tea leaves into fresh cold brew concentrates that are ready to serve and enjoy. Learn more about Toddy at toddycafe.com. Toddy, cold brewed, simply better. Now, on to the episode. Okay, for this episode of the RICO podcast, we are pleased to welcome Andrea Illy, chairman of Illy Cafe. Over his long career, Andrea has established an identity as a leader, a thinker, and a creative mind in coffee. We asked Andrea to contribute a talk on the complex economics of coffee and the future of coffee for this year's RICO, and he generously agreed to participate. For this podcast, Andrea and I will talk a bit and then listen to the audio of the speech. The video of this talk can be found on the RICO YouTube channel, but for now, I'm happy to welcome Andrea Illy to the RICO podcast. Hello. Hello, Peter. Thanks so much for giving your talk at RICO. It was a, it was a really valuable and interesting way to, uh, to, start, the, uh, to start our conference. So I, I really appreciate that. So one of the things you mentioned in the talk was that um, early in your talk, which surprised me, was the, was, the, uh, was the fact that in the Asia-Pacific region, coffee consumption is growing so fast, faster than anywhere in the world. And now it's the largest um, regional consumer of coffee globally. So I'm wondering what impact do you think that that's going to happen as we, uh, as we go forward? Well, uh, I remember that uh, 10 years ago, I predicted uh, that uh, China in particular would become one of the fifth, uh, f- five largest uh, coffee consuming countries in one generation. And this is, uh, I'm not talking about per capita consumption, but the figures in terms of number of inhabitants is so gigantic that uh, they really need to just taste a few cups of coffee per year in order to really skyrocket to a gigantic coffee consumer. Yes, this is the power of numbers, and the same is true for, uh, for, uh, for India, you know, and... Uh, Middle East uh, is is a lot under the uh, uh, let's say Asian influence as well through through uh, India and, and, and they are also coming strong. Some of those countries are also coffee consu- coffee producing, so the the cultural barriers are kind of uh, uh, much easier to overcome because it is true that their culture is mostly centered around tea, mm-hmm. but being a kind of a flanking product in their daily, you know, experiences. The two drivers to uh, start consuming coffee are, first of all, uh, globalization, this uh, international uh, culture which is resulting in a kind of a cross-fertilization. We become more Asian, they become more Western. Mm -hmm. And this 
one driver and the other driver is the internal production, which of course uh, triggers some curiosity to try some produces of your own land. So uh, all in all, uh, uh, your question is what will happen? Uh, my opinion is that uh, nothing really particular, because if you consider that uh, we have uh, a, around 1.5 billion coffee drinkers in the world, still a very little number with a something like 20% of the human uh, civilization drinking coffee. So, of course, they will uh, help uh, accelerating that and, uh, and, and for sure sustaining this 2% compound average grow rate that the coffee uh, consumption uh, uh, had in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. So they are contributing to growth and... Uh, and uh, I also must say that in my personal opinion is that uh, Asian countries were uh, kind of uh, very, uh, as you say, suspicious about coffee consumption because it was kind of uh, uh, the opposite uh, than tea in the yin and yang, you know, right. uh, uh, balance. And, 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 uh, and as a matter of fact, is uh, only thanks to a much... Uh, better uh, coffee uh, quality overall coffee quality that they they managed to 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 start uh, enjoying it uh, uh, much better coffee quality in term of taste in term of uh, consumer experience in term of discovery of this wonderful coffee culture uh, you know it's like uh, they they are becoming for instance in china great uh, wine uh, drinkers uh, and of course, they started from the the, the great uh, French Bordeaux, right? This has mm-hmm. been the the uh, let's say the educational partner with which in, in introduced the Chinese to to the wonder of uh, uh, wine drinking, and now they also start growing wines in in China. You see, and the same is happening with coffee as well. So, I think it's a long term trend which is yeah. we're observing. Okay, interesting. And so, okay, so you're you're uh, you're you're drawing that that uh, that connection between um, production and consumption, which is interesting. You mentioned when you when you analyze the market, you mentioned that the uh, the predominance of consuming countries is a problem. Um, the predominance economically, and interestingly, the the 2018 coffee barometer just came out, and it uh, reported that 10 percent of coffee's total value is uh, captured by producing countries. So what do you think we might do as an industry to change that predominance? I think uh, to make uh, to give a, a brief answer, product uh, uh, increase the uh, prod, uh, the coffee value, okay, through differentiation and uh, and sustainability. Uh, uh, the reason why I say that is that um, on one side, agricultural commodities are deflationary. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, and don't ask me why, but if you don't take in account the four years ago, uh, the Arab Spring, you know, which uh, caused a significant, uh, 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 let's say, burst in, in uh, agricultural commodity prices, uh, without uh, the one century ago, the prices were the same as today. Right. So this, yeah. this is really structural to all commodities and this is something i showed in in seattle as a chart about that 
Second, the value chain is very long, you know, and as far as growers are concerned, they are only the very first ring of a value chain which uh, which uh, ends uh, in 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 a, in a ca- coffee shop serving your uh, your your cup of coffee. And of course, if you are at the very beginning of the value chain, you you only have one fraction of the total value chain. So you have a the only possibility that you have to increase your value added would be to vertically integrate da- downward. So like wine uh, uh, growers were uh, de- decided to do when they shifted from simply uh, uh, wine grower to uh, to winemaker, you know, uh, because they were in the same problem. There were the, the winemakers purchasing uh, grapes at many times also squeezing uh, 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 wine growers and, uh, and 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 because there were no uh, relevant entry barriers, the, the wine growers uh, decided to start producing their own wine. This is how the wine revolution did did start. I believe that this is more difficult because we have a a, a barrier, a geographical barrier, which is a geopolitical barrier like a wall, like a gigantic wall, which is the equator. You know, coffee is produced all in the south of the world in uh, developing countries, and it is very difficult for them to them uh, to get access to uh, the uh, coffee-consuming markets. So uh, it is happening. You you already have some uh, some uh, some first experiences of. Uh, uh, roasted coffee exported by uh, from from producing countries, but I really consider it will uh, be a little niche and and very hard to distribute, etc. So all in all, with these two uh, let's say hurdles in mind, what can we really do? Instead of trying to increase that ten percent, which is structure and structural and will probably remain the same, mm-hmm. what? about simply increasing this 200 billion to 300 or 400 billion and having uh, growers uh, getting uh, uh, in in absolute value a higher amount of money because the value added of coffee is higher this is much easier if you make the uh, the value proposition to a final consumer much uh, richer in term of quality experience and and uniqueness you know because in wine, for instance, you 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 cannot find two bottles which are the same any longer. Right. Once upon a time, the only differentiation was by by grape and by region. Now it's by bottle, you know, and this um, uh, drives the price up. It might be consuming uh, con- uh, per capita consumption down, but for sure it drives uh, 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 price up. Right. And I think is the most accessible and immediate strategy in order to give relief to this. Uh, coffee growers in producing countries. Okay, very interesting. Now, shifting gears a little bit, you uh, you mentioned at the beginning of your talk that uh, some elements uh, might be a little bit provocative. And there there was one moment um, that provoked a, uh, a reaction among the audience, um, which is when you mentioned that slavery, malnutrition, and poverty are not existing on coffee plantations anymore. And that conflicts with most people's perception of coffee plantations, that though con- conditions have improved, that we haven't completely eradicated social problems like like uh, those that you mentioned. Um, I'm wondering maybe a little bit more detail about that and your perspective on this. 
Well, um, my statement is that uh, coffee was able to uh, strengthen uh, its uh, three virtues in the last uh, two decades. The first virtue is pleasure, the second is health, and the third is sustainability. And as far as sustainability is concerned, uh, there is still a long, long way to go, but we are definitely in a much better place compared to where we used to be maybe uh, three, four centuries ago. Three, four centuries ago, uh, one good reason not to talk about coffee to consumers was about because there was a lot to 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 be uh, ashamed of, you know? Mm-hmm. There was slavery, there was deforestation, there was pollution, there were even wars related to coffee. If you if you if you read this uh, uncommon ground book, which is a kind of a reference book by Mark Pendergrast, you will find so many bad stories which are really really belonging to the past. So nothing so bad uh, still occurs in the coffee plantation. It has been now at least two decades that the total coffee production increases only thanks to a productivity increase and no uh, more deforestation, at least not substantial deforestation. Uh, The agronomical practices did substantially improve uh, involving less uh, for sure consumption and also less uh, water consumption and the working condition did improve uh, uh, overall. Of course, uh, uh, you still have criminals in a community of 25 million coffee growers. Uh, you can have few percentage of criminals which are still exploiting. And uh, we probably never will be in the capacity to totally eradicate the phenomenon. But uh, what I was commenting is that the trend is quite positive. I visit plantations in uh, tens of coffee producing countries. And uh, I must say that in general, I, 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 I find a, a much better, let's say, sensitivity from uh, 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 coffee growers to all this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this situation. With, uh, with, uh, with uh, sadness, I must say that there is sometimes less respect for uh, workers compared to uh, respect for, for the environment. And this might sometimes caused by uh, temporary labor or so, but this is uh, something occurring in some certain countries, not necessarily in others. So, so this is my explanation to that, yeah. uh, that statement. Okay. Um, shifting our, our focus to, uh, to climate change um, for a minute, you discuss climate change, of course, um, which is a, uh, a uh, huge issue for us as an industry. You mentioned a, uh, a possible new initiative called the Global Coffee Adaptation Plan, uh, uh, and you describe it as a multi-stakeholder initiative to drive coffee's adaptation to climate change. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about how like an, a, an ambitious project like this might work? Yes. So basically, uh, the, uh, everything starts from this uh, 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 let's say, generally uh, accepted uh, assessment that uh, 50% of the currently suitable land for coffee agriculture will be gone by 2050. And if, uh, of course, suitable land is more than the cultivated land, but uh, the, also this cultivated land will be uh, in the same percentage will be impacted. So currently there are 11 million hectares cultivated that might be 
that 5.5% needs to be uh, made resilient. In order to make, uh, 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 let's say, land resilient to climate change, uh, you need the three sequential, uh, let's say, actions. The first being uh, uh, improving the agronomical practices uh, with uh, whatever necessary, precision agriculture, irrigation, uh, plant plant replacement, uh, um, shadowing, uh, agroforestry, uh, you know, plenty of the possible... uh, solutions which are uh, wide available in agriculture, even for cultivating uh, in in deserts if necessary. Second action, if this is not enough, uh, is uh, developing new resistant cultivars, Uh, particularly the Arabic coffee uh, biodiversity is very narrow with only 33 species cultivated all deriving from the same mother plants. And this is a risk because it can even be risking a kind of a pandemia. So we need to boost, uh, to boost uh, 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 genetic variability of coffee. And this is, requires another type of project. And last but not least, if both these initiatives have not been, will not be sufficient, we will also need to develop new production areas, new, uh, you know, move plantation from one place to the other, either at higher altitudes or at higher latitudes, you see. So all this will require substantial investment that uh, a a really kind of an educated guess, uh, we could imagine an average of $10,000 per hectare, including a portion of cost of land. If this is the case, uh, we would need to invest in the decades ahead a few tens of billions of dollars in order to uh, uh, not only, let's say, to to, to improve coffee production beyond uh, 225, 230 million bags. So far, uh, in the last two decades, uh, coffee production has been in- increased by two countries only, uh, mostly, I would say, Brazil and, 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 and Vietnam. And the total of the remaining countries, in total, they remain flat. Some did grow, some did decrease, product, uh, diminish the, uh, production, but the sum of them was, was, was the same. So the, the bet is that Brazil, which is such a huge uh, agricultural land, uh, and, and, uh, and Vietnam, which is such a young uh, coffee-producing countries, will be able to double production once again. Uh, and, and if the other countries will remain flat, we, we basically, with no investment, we will be able to maybe produce uh, something like... Uh, 50% more than we are producing now, but then we will be, we will be kind of cutting off uh, production. And in order to uh, avoid, uh, uh, let's say, a shortage of production and a relevant price shock, uh, we would need to make uh, investments already now. Because if, uh, if, the, if, the, if the shortage will start around the end of the uh, uh, 2030, beginning 2040, 
and the investments needed that will really need to have a ramp up and a learning curve and all the necessary time to become fully productive we will need to start investing very soon amounts of money which are significantly higher than compared to what we are investing now the best educated guess is that we are investing now around 100 150 million dollars per year in uh, in sustainability not necessarily related to climate change. And this money is probably uh, 10 to 15% of what we should really be invested in the long term. The C gap is to uh, only address uh, investment and provide the already existing NGOs like uh, World Coffee Research for a new variety development like uh, Coffee and Climate, like uh, Conservation International, like the Global Coffee Research, all that, these orga- NGOs which are very uh, well organized to uh, transfer know-how and technology to pr- producing countries, but they, they only need more, more funds for investment. And so the idea of CIGAP is to be kind of an, a broker, an international broker, allowing the money from investors to flow into the coffee plantations and and accelerate investment. This is what we are trying to do. All right. That's fascinating. Well, speaking of of the future and investments in the future, this year, the Ernesto Illy Foundation sponsored the RICO Fellows Program, which is uh, the program at RICO that um, invests in new leaders uh, in our community, including, you know, new scientific leaders and policy leaders and coffee leaders, et cetera. How was, I was curious what, uh, how your experience of interacting with the RICO fellows were. Did you have any uh, takeaways from, from that experience? Well, I, I, I had an impression about this, this RICO of uh, uh, an initiative which is very dynamic and very uh, inclusive and oriented to provide a, a, a significant improvement to the coffee industry. So I really support uh, and I must uh, encourage uh, uh, the Specialty Coffee Association to continue with that initiative because also it's creating awareness for, uh, uh, for, uh, for, the, for the challenges that we have ahead. I was able to meet uh, many people with a high level of competence in what they are doing. This is also important. Way, way ahead where we were maybe 10 years ago or, or more. Well, um, I agree. And on that note, let's go ahead and listen to the uh, audio of your talk. Andrea Illy, thank you so much for your participation in our program and for all the discussion. Thanks so much. It's my, my pleasure. I'm pleased to be here with you, and congratulations for your 10th anniversary and for what you have been able to accomplish so far, because this kind of discussion and then the follow-up creates a lot of value. So my assigned topic is the complex global economic of coffee. As a scientist, uh, of course, I love complexity, but I will try to give you a simple picture as much as possible. What I will say is very much uh, my personal interpretation of the economics of coffee. I will be also a little bit uh, challenging and provocative for the discussion, 
So let's see. <laughs> so I will cover four topics, market consumption, production, and the way forward. As far as the market uh, is concerned, here is a little snapshot just to give you some figures. It's a, the best educated guess that this is a market around 300 billions at cap level. Hmm? Um, one of the uh, problematic numbers is this one, which is this is a very small number compared to the aggregated value. But this is the problem. The, if you divide 25 million growers community, you get only $1,000 per year, which is per se is a small number. But if you then apply the ABC distribution, you will know that uh, 20 million of those 25 will only get $200 per day. Uh, and you know that the uh, United Nations have a $2 per day, less than $2, $200 per year. And the United Nations has $2 per day as the threshold of poverty. So, as we will see, we did a good job in improving this situation, but we are not there. Problem is that this is, and we have to be, uh, let's say, as we will see, honest in acknowledging this is the, only the first ring of a long value chain. So it can get only a, a smaller portion of the value, of course. And we will see some possible strategy how to address this uh, imbalance. Another important figure here is what's going on. 1.5 billion consumers used to be 620 years ago. And this is a figure that uh, it's interesting to be correlated with 2% compound average growth rate. Because 2% is not a big number. 2% is just the world demographic increase. But of course, because emerging countries that we will see have a per capita consumption much lower than we do have, then we have to conquer at least twice, twice of them. And uh, this is what we did in the last 20 years. Have a compound average growth rate of 4% the consumer base in emerging countries. 20 years ago, the OECD countries were accounting for 80% of the coffee consumption, now less than 50. But 1.5 billion is nothing compared to more than 7 billion we are on the planet. And there is no reason why, with the growth of disposable income in all countries, uh, everybody will uh, eventually drink some coffee. So, just to say that the 2% increase is... Uh, Let's say, not realistic, because nothing is realistic, but it's uh, reasonable as an expectation, referring to what has been said by the panel. Yes, we will need to produce more. Trends, very important. There is a substantial trend for differentiation, and we will talk more about that. Sustainability has been already said. Globalization and the industry consolidation, which is a more recent trend, but equally important. Finance. Troubling picture. Why this? First, already seen the predominance of consuming countries in the value chain. 
Second is the structural deflationary trend over centuries, because this graph for all main uh, commodities starts in uh, mid of 19th century, so it's over 150 years old. So there is no way that agricultural uh, commodities can, can, can grow in value. It didn't happen in the last century and a half. Why should we reasonably expect it will happen in the future? Maybe because of climate change. But then we will talk about the price shock. We'll talk about that. Volatility, as you can see, we all know that. So. The problem, one of the big recent problems, since now a crop is traded 50 times at least on the marketplace, on the stock exchange, there is more and more a decoupling from the price made on the stock exchange versus the price of commanded by the so-called uh, fundamentals, which are production, consumption, and stocks. So in the, recent, uh, the last two decades, there has been, particularly in the last one, many times substantial, let's say, divergence between, between what uh, the uh, fundamentals of uh, the coffee market, physical one, were commanding compared to what the stock exchange did. This very much depends on the fact that there is a heavy influence by other index commodities. The biggest one, of course, oil. So one, one of the problems we have in that room is now it's the American shale oil. Why this? Because in this index, the funds, pension funds, hedge funds buy, there is a 50% of oil. In the price of oil, as you know, it has now flat as a consequence of the United States becoming the leader in energy production, in oil production, with a cost of production which uh, is around 50, 60 barrel, uh, dollar per barrel. And this is reflected also on the price of coffee that not surprisingly is very low and flat. So these are structural issues that we can only hardly, let's say, change, as we will see. And finally, uh, unreliable, totally unreliable statistics. Who knows really how much coffee is produced? Nobody knows how much really coffee is consumed. And for sure, nobody can guess stocks level in reality. So we have some numbers. What I do since 10 years is to make a weighted average of all the possible statistics I received by reliable sources. But I can tell you, this is not the way of working. And I think there is a general interest to have kind of unreliability of those statistics because it makes the market more fluid. And it's good for speculators. So consumption. This acceleration of coffee consumption 20 years ago was growing less than 1%. And it was the victim of soft drinks. Now, the situation is inverted, and we, grow, we grew up to 2.7%, thanks to coffee becoming much more positive. These three virtues of coffee, which have been, the, let's say, the core strategy for, promote, for the Coffee Promotion and Market Development Committee at the uh, International Coffee Organization, these three virtues are really solid. Pleasure. There is much better quality in the cup now. 
there is an enormous amount of differentiation. Consumer can find plenty of new stuff to try in the market. And this is, you know, it's fun. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, people love it. There is a much more sophisticated technology for preparation, specifically Proshonet system, make this convenient and consistency really uh, positive in terms of con consumption. And we know that there are consumers drink more cups as thanks to this technology. And there are also much better places, including some of your own places or our places. Health, this is very important. I know you will talk about science. 20 years ago, you know, people, 60% of people, consumers, were thinking that coffee was so-so for human health. Now, it's exactly inverted. It's clear, thanks to at least, let's say, 10 significant epidemiological studies, that coffee is about longevity. It makes you live better because it's uh, thanks to its stimulant effects of caffeine, you are inspired. It's really the best way to live, to be social, to be brilliant, etc., but also live longer, thanks to the antioxidant property of coffee, which make coffee to be the most effective preventative cure against the elder age disease, particularly the degenerative one, but also diabetes too. So this is great and this is official because uh, the latest and most significant studies have been uh, published by the International Agency for Research on Cancer. And last year, something enormously so important happened in the industry, that the uh, International Agency Research of Cancer, which is part of the World Health Organization, did reclassify coffee after 25 years as non-cancerogenic, not classifiable as cancerogenic. It used to be possibly cancerogenic. So it's the first time in history that one product is improves its classification thanks to what? Thanks to an amazing work made by the scientific community. In the last 25 years, there have been 20, 25,000 scientific studies accumulated. And there is a, an, uh, an organization which is called EZIC, which is constantly monitoring these studies and classifying them per category and impact. So this is good. This is the proof that if we work together, we can address uh, important challenges. Sustainability, things did improve substantially because there is more economical sustainability now. There is no more slavery. Uh, there is no uh, poverty. There is no malnutrition. There is no... This kind of stuff was existing. It's not existing in the coffee plantation any longer. Still, there is a long way to go, but we made a significant improvement thanks to growth. Social sustainability is much better than before, thanks to responsibility. When you go at the, United, uh, at the International Coffee Organization, you find two blocks. Consumer countries, producing countries. No, we are all in the same field. We are all in the same market. We must love each other so we can create value. And this is what is happening also through, thanks to a community like yours, visiting coffee plantation, exchanging knowledge and so on. And finally, the environmental uh, sustainability did substantially improve because in the last 20 years, we have been able to double production with the same amount of hectares. So that means 
that no deforestation any longer, and you can hardly find pollution in, 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 a, in, a, in a coffee plantation. So this led to growth. Where did the growth come from? If you can see, the big uh, contributor to growth, which has been also a trigger in order, in order to better promote coffee, have been coffee shops. 6% compound average growth rate in the next uh, 10 years, uh, doubling the number of units. Amazing performance. And the food service in general did grow, let's say, more than the, the total average, with a 2.7%. Off-premise, which is substantial to be seen, is that we have seen a 30% increase in per capita spending in coffee consumption. So that means that out of their pockets, you know, consumers pay 30% more compared to 10 years ago for coffee. This is good. This is good because it means that value added in the coffee brings, drives consumption, not the opposite. Usually you have a price, you know, volume relationship, the lower the price, the higher the volume. In this case, no. In this case, it's quality which drives growth, which is great for our room. And uh, interestingly enough, the big performer have been portion system. 14% compound average growth rate, uh, uh, quadrupling, nearly quadrupling, the, uh, or, or tripling, sorry, the, the, no, quadrupling nearly the, the, market, the market size. So over 20% of the households now, uh, you know, consume uh, coffee with a portion system. And then finally, emerging markets. Emerging markets, big performance, Asia-Pacific. Asia-Pacific is now the very first region, macro region in terms of coffee consumption. Look at uh, uh, Latin America, which is, has been the second best performance. Uh, and look at uh, the North America and Europe. Even Europe is smaller than, than, than Asia. So we have to take into account that also when we will talk about production. So production, so very more important, concentration. The two first countries, only two, went from 46% of the total world production to 53 in just 10 years. So now let's look into the next 30 years. Where will this coffee needed for doubling and growing 2% come from? Because we have this problem. Climate change is not a risk, it's a reality. It's already happening. And I insist saying it's happening since decades already. There have been already big, big investment and changes in the industry in order to make coffee production resilient to climate change. But we need to do much more. The challenge is that we will lose half of the suitable land, as you can see from this chart. Every blue area in this chart is a decrease of suitability for coffee production. And the red one is an increase. So some of the growers which went away from Paraná in Brazil will have to go back to Paraná. Because the three strategies to address climate change will be first to change agronomical practices, as they are already doing in some countries, not all, unfortunately. If it is not enough, we will need to develop new cultivars, as we will see the natural uh, genetic diversity of coffee is extremely narrow, extremely poor. This is a risk. And if 
uh, Colombia has been a, a benchmark for this kind of strategy. And last but not least, if not necessary, if not enough, we will also need to migrate plantations. Problem is that we will need to scale up investment substantially. A best educated guess is that we will need to spend one billion per year in the next 20 years in order to make coffee agriculture resilient to climate change. Now we spend 350 million. So there is a substantial lack of funds. Uh, the problem will be even earlier because before, even before impacting productivity, climate change impacts quality and, uh, due to water scarcity and uh, increasing temperature. So we are trying together also with, a, of course, a, under the leadership of the Swiss Coffee Trading Association, which consolidates over 50% of the coffee traded, uh, together with the, the big corporations, and uh, also with involvement, significant involvement of Rick Reinhardt, we are trying to lead this possible idea of a CGAP, Coffee Global Adaptation Plan, which would be, and we will have the go-no-go -no -go decision in October, will be a public-private initiative for fundraising, coordination, and knowledge transfer. The big opportunity is that there is a new emerging market of so-called impact investment, which is already an 80 billion industry, so, and it's growing, two digits. So that means uh, uh, pulling out some resource, one billion or, or less, you know, for coffee, will be feasible as long as we make projects which are bankable. So there is a lot of work to be done uh, ahead, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm positive. So industry consolidation. Just to comment this figure, this column is about 43 billion US dollars in uh, five years. Never in history how much, uh, so much money in M&A has been, been spent in the, in the industry. And the result is that we have a new big challenger job, you know, with now uh, second in terms of market share and first in terms of volume. But of course, uh, this uh, created also a movement, a reaction by all the other major uh, uh, companies to uh, start M&E, changing the strategy from organic growth into external growth. Is it positive? Is it negative? Will it last for long? I think it's more or less indifferent because as we will see, something very similar did happen in the beer industry and together with the consolidation of the big industry, there has been also an extreme, uh, let's say, fragmentation and differentiation thanks to, to microbrewers. So the way forward, in order to try to cope with this uh, complex uh, situation, which I'm trying to make simple, I hope and I really dream that the, we pave the road to the future in Milan at the occasion of this greatest great uh, coffee celebration in 2015 at the Universal Exhibition. Because it was so inclusive, it was so great, we organized a global coffee you know, forum and we did uh, uh, sign this important declaration which is the Milan Coffee Legacy. This is about uh, acknowledging that there is a virtuous cycle combining the well-being that coffee delivers to consumers with the development it gives for, those, for the producers. So, and committing to nurture, to re-strengthen this uh, virtuous cycle as we have been able to do in the last two decades. And nurture with this, uh, this, uh, this virtuous cycle with whatever it takes. Starting from public uh, uh, partnership, 
public-private partnerships which are absolutely necessary in order to uh, address the important endeavors that we have to address. Last but not least, so this leads me to uh, identify two possible strategies in, uh, in, in the way, way ahead. More differentiation. If you compare to what we have been able to accomplish, Coffee now has, remember this chart that showed about the number of roasting exploding in the next 20 years, or ten, I don't know how many. We are now in the world a dedicated guest of 30,000 roasters. Look at beer. Beer, 300,000. Wine, over 1 million. Diverse, differentiation, 36 varietals in coffee. If you combine hop and, 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 and barley, in beer you have more than 480 varietals. And in wine, you have over 1,000 uh, uh, different grapes. Differentiation leads, this is empirical, but leads to price increase. And the higher the price, consumer level, the higher the percentage of this price that we will pay to growers. So as you can see, the price of coffee is around $2.50, $3, whereas beer, 5 or 7 in wine, in the hospitality, around 10, 12 per glass. So why should wine be more expensive than coffee? Tell me. There is no reason why. And the other possible strategy, and I'm finished, vertical integration. Upward, I hardly can see any different strategy in terms of vertical integration than direct sourcing. I can hardly see big or small coffee company owning coffee plantation in uh, producing countries. But through direct sourcing, you can do a lot. You can transfer knowledge, you can pay premiums, you can, can create loyalty, you can improve quality, you can have traceability, you can narrate the product to the consumer, and so on. This is, uh, this is really great. And uh, downward, uh, uh, Vertical integration could be an opportunity for producing countries. Some of them might start exporting roasted coffee, as they are already trying to do. And of course, for us in consuming countries, continue developing retails. So thank you very much, and uh, enjoy your nice conference. That was Andrea Illy at Rico Symposium this past April. Remember to check out our show notes to find a link to the YouTube video of this talk and a link to the speaker bios on the Rico website. This has been an SCA podcast brought to you by the members of the Specialty Coffee Association and supported by Toddy. I'm Peter Giuliano. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time.